The Be Free campaign hosts Being Free with Shantanu Kundu, a podcast that looks at mental health, well-being, making the most of your life. I'm Shantanu Kundu, your host. I'm a student doctor at the University of Liverpool, and I'm also the founder and director of the Be Free campaign, a mental health charity aims to demolish the stigma behind mental health and promote the free expression of individual lives. On today's episode, we have Jordan Yeats, a mental health blogger, YouTuber and a youth worker. Today's conversation will cover many different topics, ranging from mental health in men, mental health in young people, and also looking at journaling and meditation. Hope you enjoy. It's been a bit of time since we last spoke. So tell me, how have you been doing? What have you been up to? Um, so just kind of changing my new job. Um, I was in retail beforehand and like before lockdown happened so during lockdown I was put on complete furlough had to really kind of find things to do I mean don't get me wrong it wasn't the hardest part of my life because I was being paid a furlough wage to kind of do nothing Um, and it was around that kind of time that you got in touch and then we started the ambassadorship with the the charity which is was brilliant Um, but yeah then since then I've got a new job Um, I'm now working as a social inclusion officer with Northampton Saints Foundation um so started that in october um and so far so good it's been really enjoyable it's you know it's good to take on a role that you know you're giving back and you're doing good things it's not just like i'm lining someone's pocket really yeah. i'm actually you know giving giving good things to people i think that's, that's always the best sort of way to do it in life isn't it in general so for those who don't know what northampton saint um foundation is do you want to explain a bit more about it yeah so most people will know the rugby club northampton saints so they play in the premiership um premiership rugby club um the foundation is our charitable arm of northampton saints so what we do is so the part of my program is called the hits program which is a premiership wide thing um and it's like a social inclusion program we also have our engage program engage plus and Um, a couple of other bits we do and the basic thing that we do is we look after vulnerable students that are in education Um, either they're they've been removed from education so mainstream education or they need reintegrating Um, or they've left school and they kind of were a little bit behind because of that Um, so we want again we work with the college and get them into education getting them jobs that sort of thing that's good so you're sort of transforming young people's lives i'd like to think so and i know that you know some of the stuff like even before i've been where some of the stuff these guys are doing is amazing and it's an absolute privilege to be a part of them really that's great to hear and so on the side you do a lot of writing and blogging on mental health um and so what do you think your perceptive is at the moment or perception of mental health in sort of men um you know men men are three or 75 percent more likely to commit suicide um, there's a lot more stigma in some ways, in some respects, um, in regards to men's mental health. So what do you think um, your role is as a sort of influence in that, in that respect? Um, 
Well, when I started the blog up uh, nearly a couple of years ago now, so it was May 2019 that I first started up, I just noticed that there was not many like people kind of as men speaking about it and especially not in the public eye. It was a really like slim sort of, and no one was kind of talking about it. And I remember when I was really suffering, all I could have done with was someone to kind of sit there and talk to and kind of go, actually, no, I can relate to you. I have those feelings. I know exactly how it feels, mate. And, you know, we do have like therapists and we've got the NHS to kind of look after us, but we don't have those people that we can kind of sit with and go, oh, mate, yeah, I completely understand. And I thought that, you know, maybe if I could start speaking and opening up about my difficulties and how it happened for me, then maybe other men could because I'd found such relief from actually being open and honest with my friends and being saying, listen, I'm having a really rubbish time. This is what I'm going through. This is how I feel. And as soon as I kind of shared that, I felt better. Of course, it didn't fix my difficulties altogether, but I just found such a relief from doing that and thought so many people are being denied this opportunity either by themselves or by, you know, stigmas and other kind of sources. They need to be kind of having the same feeling I am I'm feeling a lot better I've come a really long way since those really dark times and a lot of that started from my ability to just kind of go yeah I'm really struggling this is this is what I've got this is how I'm feeling and so did you experience much stigma um, behind sort of that first step from going to get help and and what sort of helped you you know break that stigma or, or break that first barrier in telling people around you because I suppose it's quite hard isn't it Mm. so the weirdest thing is I don't it's like there is so much stigma that is around it and we say there's so much stigma I've never had one person say to me like shut up like you're being ridiculous or man up a bit I've not not had one person so I first kind of opened up in 2017 none of my friends said anything none of the people I work with because I did you know speak to people at work um in the job I was in at the time Nobody spoke up. Nobody said anything bad to me. They were just like, okay, no, well, we can we can help you deal with that. We're here to chat to you. Let's take it back maybe 10 years. I think it would have been quite different. Um, I think, you know, opening up about mental health whilst I was at university and, you know, back at school would have been so much more different. Um, I think, luckily, we've come quite a long way. Um, me, personally, like I said, I've never had anyone say anything negatively towards me or bad towards me. Um, which is strange really when you think about it I think I think that's probably something that's been shared by a lot of guys that are my age in particular maybe if you put another 20 years on my age then a few men will be like mm, what are you on about mate like, yeah and so do you think it's maybe some internalised stigma as well then that sort of stops you from getting help or were you quite open to speaking to people um, initially I was just really unsure on what to do I was just like my biggest difficulty came from the fact I had zero awareness. I didn't know what anxiety disorder was. I knew what depression was, but only a very small piece of it. So for, for us, when we were younger, depression was related to, I mean, you look at like different skins episodes and you'd be, you know, that was you know, when Effie said, you know, she got depression, she was put in a hospital and... You know, that was the kind of the first time we started hearing about it. And if you go to the other end of the scale, you know, when you they talk about, you know, mental hospitals, you think about asylums and you think about the Joker and Batman. And that was all the things that I kind of had. And I was like, well, I don't feel like that. <laughs> I don't. But yeah. Am I going to be put in an asylum? Of course, those kind of classic asylums have been, you know, they've been out of business for you know 
60 years now. So yeah. it was just the complete uncertainty. I just didn't have a Scooby, like what it was. So I was just very much like, I don't know what I've got. Like, why, have I, why do I feel like this? So I suppose working with young people in particular, they'll have a lot of these preconceptions as well um, about sort of, you know, oh, are they going to lock me up if I say I've got mental health condition? Are they going to, you know, um, is, that, is that how everyone's going to see me? And it's that idea of myth busting, isn't it, a lot in children. So I suppose it affects vulnerable children more than those who are not vulnerable. Have you seen that sort of disparity in your work um, between sort of vulnerable people and, and non-vulnerable? Um, we find with the vulnerable students, um, and I won't give any names away or anything like that, but the things that they've gone through are, you know, some of the things that these children have had to deal with at such young ages are incredible. And you wonder, like, you know, how on earth have they got through those difficult times in their lives? Um, so for them, you know, it's earlier on and the things that have happened to them, they've got absolutely zero control over. You know, we're talking about a you know, great deal of trauma for youngsters from as early as, you know, two, three, four, five. And some of the things I struggled with was kind of as we, I got a little bit older. So it's it's very different. And the difficulty is that mental health is not objective. It's not one thing. You, It's a vast majority of things. And once again, that's why I find it so hard to kind of open up as well, because I had a particular... No, I'll be com- as completely honest as I can. I wasn't enormously, I'll put a trigger warning just before this, I wasn't enormously suicidal. I was just very depressed. But I wasn't on a particular, I wasn't another trigger warning very quickly. I wasn't um, self-harming. So for me, all my preconceptions around what depression was, I didn't feel like I had, so I didn't reach out. Yeah. Um, and there's a vast scale of it. You don't have to be one end or the other you know, it's not just like, this is it, and that's it. For me, it was, I was in one area of it, but it didn't mean I didn't wasn't ill, and it didn't mean I yeah. wasn't depressed, because it was holding me back. And I think that's where the disparity comes from, is that you, people have different abilities and what they can deal with as people and pain. Um, and that's where it kind of comes from, I'd say, with the vulnerable students. They have been through way worse things. But yeah. that's not to say yeah. that, you know, we don't all have difficulties. I think, so, when we sort of talk about conditions, a lot of people are like, you know, I have it or I don't. If you compare it to physical conditions, for example, you'll see there's so many symptoms. You know, every single condition will have tons and tons of symptoms. The same with depression, anxiety. There will be different symptoms that everyone, you know, has to deal with. And so, that's that, I think, lies a lot of the difficulty in saying, okay, well, I have some of these symptoms. I don't have others. Does that mean I don't have it? But the best thing to do there is actually to ask for help, to seek help, and then to, to, for, for a clinician to, to decide, look, if there is something there, we can help you, and and the best way to help you um, is something that, that they can come up with. And so I think that's a really important thing that you're t- talking about, in that, you know, the symptoms are so different. It's not subjective. Uh, I'm sorry, it's not objective. <laughs> it's definitely subjective. And we have this idea of biological, psychological, and social aspects um, that we look at whenever we see sort of a human. It's a holistic approach now, isn't it, in looking for any... Um, conditions or any issues and so in terms of the children you're working with do you see a lot of their sort of behavior manifest from their trauma earlier on um there'll be certain traits that will kind of pop out with certain students um you will find you know particularly is in a lot of 
boys that are around 14, 15, 16 is there's this mm. immense pressure to fit in and then comes the really low self-esteem. So we do find that with a few of the students that the way they're behaving and the things that they're saying about people and the way they're doing things, it's purely a kind of way of, you know, they want to fit in. They're trying to, you know, show up to their peers. And the thing is, we've got obviously different levels of what students are doing these days. You've got, you know, people that are highly academic. So they're all trying to kind of compete with each other so someone that probably doesn't feel quite as academic as them will probably start thinking, oh, gosh, I'm, you know, they're, and then they've got a difficulty with self-esteem. And then you've got, of course, the other end of the spectrum where you've got, you know, 12, 13, 14 year old boys that are probably in gangs. You know, they're out doing these you know, awful things and there's an element to compete and they want to fit in. They want to you know, have a name for themselves. Um, you know, we're all kind of craving some sort of superiority and it just kind of varies depending on where you are in your life. Yeah. And, and so in terms of the steps that you take to, to minimise that in your sort of work, how do you sort of go about it? Because it's such a difficult thing because competition will always exist. So what's the best way for you to sort of deal with that? It's a really difficult one because we're not at the level where we can, you know, I'm not, I'm not trained as of yet in any you know, psychotherapy or anything like that. So for us, it's kind of, we, we're just people that they can come to and speak to if they need it. It's, you know, a lot of these students have grown up without that kind of support, you know, and having someone mm. to kind of put their arm around them and go, it's okay, you know, you can have a bit of a tantrum, it's all right. You know, for these guys, they've never had that. So when they do go to mainstream education and they start struggling, they'll start acting out because that's what kids do. You know, we're irrational at that age. So immediately the school will go, right, no, you're out. We'll get rid of you and we'll put you in a place you know, like ours. So we're just, you know, we need to be people that can listen to them, really. Give them a chance and show them that actually, you know, you don't have to go down this route. You know, we can help you and we can point you in the right direction. And, you know, more often than not, we do succeed in doing that. I think last year we had a 91% success rate with our students um, but the bit that's obviously most concerning to us is the 9%. And, you know, we always want to strive to kind of yeah. change that. And so when you say 91% success rate, what sort of success are you measuring in this sense? <laughs> okay. So, I mean, those numbers are incredible just for one organisation to, to have that. And of course, you'll worry about the 9%. I mean, even if it's 1%, you'll still worry about them. But the fact that an organisation can have that much impact, it shows the sort of importance of this. That's amazing. So moving on to something a bit different now, um, your, your YouTube channel, um, you started a couple of months ago now, and and you do a lot of work on, on sort of well-being as well, and journaling, for example. So it might be good to talk a bit more about that, because I've seen a lot of people struggle to start journaling, um, because you see a blank page, you're like, okay, where do I start? Um, there's so many things you could talk about, so many things you could write, and that's when people sort of disappear from it. What, what's your tip? your main tip that you'd, you'd give to someone in that stage? Um, well, first things first with the journaling, it needs to be, you can do it on a computer and you can do it on a phone, but it won't get the kind of scientific benefits um, 
that you can kind of gain from journaling but you need a pen and paper or a pencil it has to be done in that kind of format um, there's a lot of brain work to it I'm still working on how to verbalize it myself so I can't explain it right now but it's there I've had it explained to me and it's really really intricate and really detailed um, but have a conversation with yourself that's the best thing I can suggest to you and just start with writing down how do I feel today you know how am I feeling you know what happened today something that's kind of you know clicked in your day and it, how did it make you feel and it's kind of like have a conversation with yourself how am I feeling today and you'll find that you'll just kind of go off and on and on and you just you know you'll be finding all sorts of things kind of come out and the most important thing is to be like non-judgmental with it remember that in this journal it's completely private no one's gonna see it you can be as verbal and horrible and violent as you like in there <laughs> you know it's so you can be non-judgmental with yourself um and that's the most important bit if something comes out and you're like oh wow what's that you know accept it and just kind of go okay well that's how i'm feeling you know we have a great deal of emotions in our brains and it all gets kind of trapped up and we struggle to release it because we you know sometimes opening up to people the things that we might have to say can be a bit sensitive and we always worry about that judgment but with with a journal because it's a piece of paper and a book it's not going to talk back to you <laughs> and you know yeah. it's it, it's a really good way of kind of getting your feelings out there mm-hmm. so that'd be my best advice yeah and, and there's also this idea of the worry book as well to write down any worries you have throughout the day so is that something you do or, or tend to use so i always find if something's kind of triggered me um in any way so i will always kind of get that emotional trigger something will happen and you'll kind of either get that feeling in your head or your heart or your gut so what i'll kind of tend to do is go back on that thought write down the thought how did it make me feel and then sometimes through the the brain science that i spoke about very briefly but sorry cannot explain it just yet um i'm not i'm not there on my study for that um something will come out and it's um the one way of accessing it is through journaling the other way to do that is through meditation um this was taught to me by my hypnotherapist um and it's been like quite you know it's been quite a journey to kind of go through that it's really intriguing amazing and so in terms of meditation um again there, there, there tends to be a lot of people who think oh meditation who wants to do that i don't have time for that um, and this idea that, you know, it's people just sitting in a forest, um, you know, cross-legged with, it, with their hands like this. And so what what are some simple meditation things that you could tell people? Um, is there anything that you use that's quite quick for people, but also has a lot of benefit? Yeah. So, I mean, I started off a few years ago using the Headspace app. Um, it was really good, especially for like kind of training to use it and kind of learning how to meditate and what works. Um and it was kind of just gain that kind of mental space where I could kind of sit back and kind of just, you know, wait. Um, I also then used Calm as well, which is another kind of technique. But the best one for me so far has got to be the Wim Hof app, because you've probably heard of Wim Hof. Everyone's talking about him at the minute. He's got this, you know, amazing technique where he immerses himself in ridiculous cold and he uses deep meditation. So through breathing um, and his for me is the best one especially for beginners because he talks you through it so well and it's you know it isn't just like right you're going to need 20 minutes he'll do it you know 10 minutes it's deep breathing and it's brilliant but so that would be a good one is find an app that works for you i mean i tried headspace i tried calm 
and then I tried Wim Hof. Wim Hof is the best one for me. They're all available on iPhone and Samsung and Samsung and Android and stuff like that. So it's not a case of kind of like, okay, well, reading from a book, trying it. It's You can get guided meditations. Um, yeah. I'm in the process of kind of working on a guided meditation myself and trying to work out. I've got an idea that I want to do and see if people like it. Um, but yeah, stay tuned on that one. Um, we'll yeah. see how I get on. And I, th- I think it changes so dependent on, on the person as well on what works for them I know Headspace you can get um, with a Spotify student deal uh, for free and Calm I think there's a small subscription charge but apparently a lot of people say it's worth it and I think it's so different for everyone in terms of what they do and there's also some sort of simple ones that Dr. Rungan Chatterjee um, who, who's one of the TV, TV doctors and he has his book on the four pillars of preventative medicine and he talks about how it's a three, four, five method of meditation so you breathe in for three seconds hold it for four seconds and breathe out for five seconds and so the idea is that if you focus on your breathing um and sort of set that time apart you have that sort of solace for for that you know 10 minutes or 15 minutes um however long you do it and so i think that's that's where the problem lies at the moment with meditation is that people will either you know do it a lot or not do it at all and there isn't much you know small stepping stone into it and so i think that's 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 what we need, we need to tackle next isn't it sort of getting people slowly into that sort of realm of meditation yeah um amazing yeah. it's a remembering it's the practice as well like it's going to be really frustrating when you do it especially at first you're going to have days where you just can't do it you know your mind is spinning that's fine buddhist monks have that too you know it's it's a practice you don't just kind of click one day and you all of a sudden you're a, you're a meditative genius um you're going to have the some days i've done it and i think oh my gosh that's incredible you know the Wim Hof one looks at kind of holding your breath and I managed to hold my breath for five minutes the other day but then some days I can barely do it for a minute you're going to have good and bad days and it is a practice it's just what you know and that's something to remember I think that's with anything isn't it like even when playing an instrument for example at the beginning it'll be the toughest thing ever you won't know anything about it but it's that perseverance and also just pushing past the sort of stages where it's boring and hard Um, I think that's the really important part and that's when you'll see the true benefit isn't it and in terms of other well-being strategies and other well-being sort of tips, uh, is there anything else you tend to do nowadays that sort of really helps your well-being? Um, something that, that you'd want to recommend? Um, so exercise is a big one for me. And I know people are probably so tired of people banging on about exercise and how good it is for your mental health. Um, but it, it really is. And it's, it's just addressed in the wrong way. And we kind of attack exercise in the wrong way i think when many people say right i'm going to start exercising this year the first thing they kind of do is buy a load of gym kit get a gym membership they'll go and start lifting weights or they start doing on the cardio machines that's really really good if you like that sort of thing i'm not very good at it i really struggle to gain any sort of kind of consistency with that sort of training so why bother you know why kind of put myself through that whereas running and cycling is something that i absolutely love i find you know a great deal of adventure from going out on a bike and doing you know 30 miles 40 miles or whatever and the same with running that's what works for me my girlfriend on the other hand can't stand running she much prefers doing weights you know that sort of thing and it's all about kind of looking at what works for you if you like yoga go and do yoga if you like playing football go and play football or rugby or whatever it is that's the kind of thing that people get the most wrong is they kind of assume right the first thing i'm going to do when i exercise i'm going to go out for a 10k run they do a 10k run and they absolutely hate it because at first it's yeah. going to be horrendous. Some people love it, some hate it. So kind of focus on that if you are going to exercise. Yeah, I think even the NHS brought up something on that in terms of the couch to 5k. 
It wasn't the idea that on the first day you'd run out, run out and do a 5k. It's building yourself up in small, small paces. First you start walking it, then you start you know, brisk walking it, and then it carries on going harder and harder, doesn't it? Um, and it's also the idea, again, like meditation, in how we can increase exercise at home quite quite simply. And so even when you're going to the kitchen to make some food, you can do a few lunges on the way there. You know, even, even whilst you're waiting for the microwave to, um, to, to buzz, buzz finish, then you can just do a few squats. And so it's just basic things you can do at home, which I think are anything is, if you're doing more than what you're already doing is going to be beneficial. And I think that that's what a lot of people are scared about is jumping into exercise and thinking, okay, they're going to have to do it for three, four hours a day in the gym, um, <laughs> running a treadmill. But it's it's really not, isn't it? Um, yeah, spot on, mate. Like, it is that, I mean, every time I do it, I'm immensely competitive. I grew up playing rugby since about the age of seven and you know, played loads of different sports. So for me, competition is kind of, it's in my psyche as a whole. Um, <laughs> so it's really hard not to try and compete with people. And, to, and that's what kind of always used to put me off, is I was always looking at other people going, right, I'm going to beat you. That's, you know, how my brain was kind of tuned for so many years. Yeah. When you start getting a bit older and you start realising it's not really about that, um, you're actually, the only person you're competing with is yourself. Um, but, you know, it's focus on kind of what you like, what makes it fun, and then you'll be more consistent. Um, I think when you start chasing the aesthetical benefits of it and you start focusing on your mental health benefits, and I think another thing that people maybe don't talk about is actually what works and how it works so in your brain when you become stressed you essentially have the release and anything like anxiousness or you know the, the release of cortisol and adrenaline and that will make you more and more stressed that's what kind of increases the fight flight freeze sort of thing and the kind of the less it subsides the more it builds and builds and builds when you exercise so let's say you do a five minute exercise it lowers your cortisol and adrenaline levels and it replaces it with um, endorphins so you've got the lowering of stress raising of endorphins it's kind of like a it's a really perfect kind of balancing act and that's why it's so beneficial for you people have what they call like the runner's high if they've ever done any sort of exercise and afterwards they're like oh my gosh that was amazing you want to hug everyone you want to jump on everyone you think it's the best thing ever that's called the runner's high and that is where that lowering of cortisol comes from raising of the endorphins comes from so that's why it's so beneficial for you yeah and it's not just sort of mental health benefits as well. It's also physical manifestations of it. Reducing cortisol. So for those who don't know what cortisol is, it's basically labelled the, the stress hormone. So whenever your body faces stress, it, you know, you get raises in cortisol. That can in increase your sort of weight. It can increase your sort of... Um, it, can, it can decrease your immune sufficiency. So you can get more infections, more colds. Um, and that's why a lot of symptoms for you know people with depression and anxiety is actually you know if you see if you see one of your friends at school not coming in as much, that could be because you know they're quite stressed a lot of the time and their immune system gets quite run down. And so it's the idea that the physical health and mental health are so interlinked, and that helping it, helping your physical health will help your mental health and vice versa. Um, I think it's really important, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. You need to think about that continuum. Physical health will help mental health, which will help physical health and just keep it going. It's, you know, they look after each other. And I think that's probably where, why we are, the, where we are in the world with, in terms of mental health is because we've kind of ignored it for so long and we've kind of focused so much on physical health um, that we're not kind of, we're not remembering about this other bit over here that you know is arguably more important it's kind of like the chicken and the egg thing which one came first like you know but for me yeah, yeah. mental health is you know is the one 
Yeah, definitely. And I think it's all good in, in sort of the public's perception of mental health. And I think now to, it's coming to a stage where people want to get more help um, from, from, from the NHS, from, from private people. But it's also then comes to a point where primary care isn't as you know, sustainable with this mental health model that they've got at the moment. A lot of it is, it's, you've got a 10 minute appointment. Uh, within that 10 minutes, you've got to arrange some sort of follow up. You've got to actually know what, what's, <laughs> what's going on with them and then you know, prescribe something if necessary. And so a lot of GPs are going going towards that sort of prescribing stage and giving antidepressants, which are great, but it's more a short-term fix, isn't it? Um, it's not a long-term sort of sustainable solution um, like psychotherapy, like cognitive behavioural therapy um, that we see. And so it's got to be also a level where we look at how the government can act in improving primary care resources. So, so what's your sort of take on, on the government's perspective? Did you ever reach out for help from a, from a, from a GP or, or anyone like that? I went to um, my GP first off when I was kind of struggling. Um, then I was then referred to looking at getting CBT, cognitive behaviour therapy. And um, the difficulty was the, the amount of care available. It's, you know, I can't say it's not enough because it is enough. It's just, it's so, you know, it's running so thin. You know, so many people need help and there's not enough money being put into it clearly um so for me to kind of i had to go towards the private route which i was really lucky to be able to do um kind of saving my wages and going to see a private hypnotherapist which isn't sustainable for everybody i was in immensely you know privileged position to do that but it was expensive you know the amount of money it was an investment and it was a lot of money and I thought, well, if I could afford it and do it, then it means that it frees up some room for somebody else to use the NHS kind of resources. But I mean, that was three years ago I started looking at using the NHS. The only time I really managed to get any kind of... Well, the difficulty was it was like once every three months I was getting appointments and my mood would fluctuate so much in that time. I think, you know... At first, I was really sceptical on taking um, antidepressants because it was like a... I felt there was such a stigma around it and I didn't Mm. want to because I didn't want to be perceived as weak. But I know and people get irritated that the NHS kind of prescribes so many antidepressants, but if the care's not available and they haven't got the time to fit people in, then I don't really know what else they can kind of do without that investment from the government. Um... You know, I did end up going on antidepressants and I was only on them for a short time, but it did kind of allow me to go, do you know, there is light at the end of this tunnel. I can feel better, Yeah. but the antidepressants route isn't going to be for me. So I kind of yeah. stopped. And then from that, I stopped using the NHS um, and started looking into how I could kind of do it by myself. Um, and then came, of course, using a hypnotherapist as well. Yeah, and I think with medication itself, there is a stigma against it, but then if you compare it to physical health, I always like this contrast. If someone's taking insulin for their diabetes, you know, no one's ever going to look at them and say, oh, why are you taking that? You know, uh, well, what are you doing? That's not good for you. Well, it's the same here. And it's something actually one of the, um, one of my um, lecturers said at university is that, you know, if, if it's fine for physical health, it should be the same for mental health. And that's why it's so important to look at um, sort of medicines in general as a beneficial thing it's not right for everyone um just like you know other drugs for some conditions aren't right for everyone but it's about that full circle and holistic support you know 
yes, maybe some antidepressants, yes, maybe some therapy. And it's about how we can balance it. Um, and there's, there's also a lot of other conditions that we, we sort of miss talking about sometimes um, within mental health. You know, there's, there is a lot of psychosis and, um, you know, schizophrenia. And there are lots of different drugs out there for that. And they can have a lot more sort of systemic side effects than sort of the basic antidepressants, I think. And I think that's when a lot of the stigma comes in, is that, you know, someone's on antipsychotics. But the fact that we give that that the name isn't really helping the situation, is it? Um, and so I think that's a, that's a move we can make in the medical arena, is how can we make, you know, medication more sort of people-friendly and looking at how we can attract people towards improving their lives and their quality of life through this route. So um, in terms of sort of going towards the end of the session, um, I, I, I really want something to, to feed back to the volunteers who are working particularly with children. Because um, it is quite hard to work with children and their mental health, working on topics that are quite, you know, triggering and, and are quite, you know, heavy. Um, so what tips would you give for volunteers working with, with children? How, how, how is it best to go about, you know, talking about mental health? Any sort of things that you've picked up along your your time? Um, I've not had a chance to do many kind of mental health chats with the students as of yet. But one thing I would say with um, with teaching the kids is you need to kind of go in there with an open mind. You can't go in there with a plan, and you need to kind of kind of lose your ego when you go into it. You cannot walk through the door and be like, right today. I'm going to get this out of my students, I'm going to get this out of my students, I'm going to get this out of my students. You really have to drop that and you have to go in there with such an open mind because it's so, so likely that by doing that, you're going to get steered off in loads of different directions and you'll find yourself getting really burnt out if you're not going to get the results that you want immediately. You know, children are difficult and they don't understand. They're very difficult, different to adults in the sense that children are way more irrational and they don't know what's going through their mind. Many of them, mental health may not be on their radar anyway. They probably haven't got a clue that they've got anxiety disorder. You know, it's you could quite easily kind of diagnose them with it if you're a doctor or a GP or anything. But for them, they don't know. So they'll be acting in these different ways. And you might try and think, oh, do you know what? Today I'm going to make them more aware of it. It's, it's Sometimes it's you have to kind of drop the ego with it, I would say. That's something that I was informed because I'm at some point I'd love to look at being a therapist in some way. And that was the biggest piece of advice I was given was that you need to lose your ego. You can't go in there and think, right, this is the direction I'm going to take my you know client in today because it won't work. And then you'll find yourself becoming painstakingly frustrating when it doesn't work out. If it does work yeah, out, definitely. then great. But Yeah, and I, th- I think that's... That's quite hard as well, at first, like, in particular, when you're sort of working with children, it's that it's a very different experience to talking with adults, you know, talking in your day-to-day life, because you've almost got to go down to their sort of level of learning their way of acting and sort of helping them learn the best way possible. Um, and I think I've also picked up that the attention span is a lot less <laughs> than, than us. Um, I mean, especially over Zoom, which is, which is a lot of our work at the moment. You know, I get quite Zoom, Zoom tired nowadays anyway. Uh, so imagine a kid who's already quite <laughs> distracting um, in general. Um, how are they going to cope with it? And so I think it's empathising a lot as well um, with the children and the fact that they are facing hard times as well. Um, and there is this idea of, you know, generation 
um, sort of shame in that I think a lot of the older generations tend to say, oh, children have got it so easy nowadays. But all, what I think is happening is that the issues are just different rather than it being um, a case of it's easier or worse. And so, yeah, that's something that I think has got to be something we can we can work on in the future. So, yeah, so amazing. So um, is it where, where's the best place for everyone to find you and learn more about the work you do and, and um, the blog? So... Jordan Yates MH is my Instagram handle. Um, if you go on there, you'll probably find everything else. Either that or you could find me on YouTube under the same name. And I'm also on Facebook. Um, I've got a website too. So it's um, jordanyatesmh.com. Um, and once again, you'll find kind of everything that you need to know on there. Um, last year was a bit of a weird one. You know, I kind of was like, okay, start of the year. I was like, right, I'm going to really stick my head down and we're going to get to it. And, you know, the plans kind of went out the window and it was very much kind of make things up as I go along um, kind of kind of year. So hopefully this year it's going to be way more consistent and I'm going to be able to put together some um, some different things for people. I've just literally completed a Notion template for people. So that will be available to download really soon. It'll be completely free. Um, so I don't know if you use Notion. I literally yeah. started using it. It's like the best thing, like... Ali Adbal is my favourite kind of YouTuber now with all that. So yeah. I kind of, and my friend Stuart Carter got me into it. It's like the best thing ever. So I've made a little template for people that, you know, whether you're struggling or not, in fact, you can use it. But it'll be free and I'll, I'll find a way of getting it out to you guys there. Yeah, definitely. I think that what's happening now is they've, they've made it free for everyone, Notion. Um, before, you, I think only students could get, could get it for free then as a small monthly fee, but now they've made it free for everyone. It's definitely something that works so so amazingly. It works well for sort of teamwork as well and collaborations. I think that's great. So yeah, thank you so much for coming on today's episode. Um, I think it's been really insightful learning a bit more about sort of you, uh, mental health in general, and also a bit of well-being. Because I think that's something we struggle to sort of get into, the meditation and the journaling. Um, there's some really powerful tools there that I think people are quite you know, reluctant to try. So hopefully people will pick up a book this time <laughs> and then we get into that. So thank you so much. No, you're very welcome. Honestly, guys, you, meditation is is brilliant. At first, you'll think it's kind of weird. But, you know, like you said earlier about, oh, it's, it's not just sitting in a forest and kind of being silent. But I can guarantee you will want that as soon as you've done one session. The idea of that kind of peace and solace that you get is is really nice. And, you know, it can be quite addictive in that sense. Um, yeah, it's been great for yes. me. That's great. So Headspace, um, Calm and what was the last one? It's called Wim, Wim Hof. So Wim, Wim Hof Method, it's called. It's WHM on um, on iTunes and stuff like that. It's brilliant. I love it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And I look forward to having you back on here soon as well. Um, talking about some other stuff as well. It'd be great. Thank you. No worries. Thank you very much, mate. See you soon. <laughs>